no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Lord, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for speaking to us, even in our time of worship, reminding us, God, that you are a good father, that we are your children, that we are loved by you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the liberty that we have from condemnation because of what you have done for us. This morning, open our ears, God, that we would hear from you, that we would be able to respond to you in faith, God. May you be glorified in this, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. As always, we want to be sure that you're able to follow along uh, in the introduction of the, uh, of the message and that you're able to take notes. And as always, I remind you, as a disciple of Jesus, this is a good tool to have, and that way you can help someone else grow in their faith. It is also a good tool to have, so that way you can go ahead and you can be reminded of what it is that you learned on Sunday, right? I, we don't want to just preach on a Sunday and then have you hear this and then go home and be like, yeah, I heard that. And then Wednesday comes and be like, what did he say? Right? We don't want that. We want you to actually live the truth that you're learning on a Sunday morning. So this is a helpful tool to help you be able to do that. So again, we're continuing in our series in the book of Romans, our Foundations of Faith series. And today I want to talk about true spirituality. Um, while it seems that much of our culture, and this is in your outline there, while it seems that much of our culture is going the way of secular humanism and or atheism or agnosticism, there is another segment of the culture that is going the way of spiritualism. And when I think about spiritualism, I mean spirituality that is not rooted in Christianity. 
And what we have in our culture is we have one segment, like I said, that they're going this way of this secular humanism. Talked about it last week, the debates that we see between, um, you know, believers and atheists and how that is growing and, and our culture is becoming very, very divided on these types of issues. But also, there is a segment of the culture that is not just um, atheists, but they're spiritual. And so there's some of them have grown up in church and they feel that they need to be spiritual because they believe there is a God, but they don't believe they need the church. They don't believe they need the Bible. And they may even read the Bible, but they don't need to be part of the body of Christ. And so they negate parts of the scriptures and they just want to be spiritual. And what the Apostle Paul shows us, this is something that I think is important for us to realize, is the scripts, these scriptures that we looked at show us that true spirituality is necessary and shows us what constitutes for true spirituality. So it's not just that we have to be spiritual, it is not just that we need the Spirit of God, but also what constitutes as being truly spiritual. What is it that God would say is spiritual? Because, you know, a lot of times we think that people who do good things and we just assume that, and I've heard this said before, that there's some people who don't follow Jesus and yet they, they, they're more Christian than Christians. Are you here? And so we automatically think that people who are doing things, that that's what Christians should be about. And I'm not saying that Christians are not about or should not be about doing things. I think that we should do stuff, right? I think we should help people that are hurting. I think that we should care about those that are going through things in their lives. We should be compassionate and we should want to do stuff. But here's what I want you to know is that Christianity is not marked by the stuff that we do. It, it's marked by who our faith is in. It's marked by the Savior that we trust. And so thinking about that as we look at the scriptures here in chapter 8 of the book of Romans that we just read we're introduced in a more broad way and a deeper way to the Holy Spirit and his activity within this whole time of or this whole part of sanctification if you look at the outline on the first page there uh, you see that the, the fourth section of the book of Romans we talked about is sanctification and that's righteousness defined and so this right here is the is the third part of that which is security that we have in the Spirit of God it's the victory that we have by the Spirit of God that is operating in our lives and so I want to read this quote to you from one guy from one theologian that I think is really good the Christian life is essentially life in the spirit. That is to say, a life that is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without Now listen to this. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. Let me read that again. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. So what, what, what the writer is saying, and Paul would agree with, and we'll get there in a moment, is this, is that if we do not have the Holy Spirit in our lives, if the Holy Spirit is not active in our lives, then we, then listen, we can't even be a Christian. We definitely cannot follow Jesus. We definitely cannot walk in the discipline of obedience to God's word. It's not Christianity. It's not just about following rules. Are you here? Christianity is about following a Savior who will lead us in obedience and teach us how we are to live. But it is about the first thing, which is walking with God. And Jesus said something very, very important to his disciples. He told his disciples, he said to them, that it would be better for you if I left. Because when I leave, then the promise of the Father can come. The Holy Spirit can come. The Father will send this promise. And so nobody would think that it would be like your, your father, your mother telling you, hey, it's better that I'm not here with you. 
right? Like you would not want to hear that. But if they told you somebody better than me is going to come, and it's not that, that the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus in that sense, like we would think of better than, but, he would, but, but the Holy Spirit now, Jesus could not indwell us. Are you here? The Holy Spirit indwells us, lives in us, moves in us, moves through us. And so what we have is an understanding that we need the Holy Spirit if we are going to walk with Jesus. And I'll tell you right now, I don't think a lot of times in church we talk enough about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, most of the time we talk about the Holy Spirit, this is what you think about. I'm going to tell you right now. Most of you, depending on your background, when you think about the Holy Spirit, you thought about tongues immediately. That is the immediate thing that came to your mind. You thought about the Holy Spirit tongues. That's the only thing you think about the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit is much greater than just speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit has to be active in the life of the believer, active in our lives. We need to understand that the, the Spirit of God is necessary for us to live in obedience and live in victory as God wants us to live. And so I want, I want you to think about this this morning. True spirituality is not about sensation and premonitions, but freedom and fruitfulness. True spirituality is not about sensations and premonitions, but it is about freedom and, faith and, and fruitfulness. It is about us not just feeling stuff. That's, that, that's, not what, that's not what true spirituality is about. People feel spiritual. Can I tell you something this morning? I didn't feel really spiritual. Are you here? I felt very tired this morning. My son was up. He's sick all night. And so, you know, he's, he's in the bed and all kind of crazy stuff is happening. Glory to God. And so, you know what? This morning, I didn't feel super spiritual. I felt really tired. But does that mean that I'm not a spiritual man? No. That just means I'm a tired man. Come on, somebody. Right? It's not about feelings, right? It's not about, I feel spiritual today. It's, it's about walking around like I'm walking on clouds or something like that. That's not spirituality, right? That's some false stuff that this world is trying to feed you, that that's what it means to be spiritual. Being spiritual is walking in a relationship with Jesus. It's walking in a relationship in communion with the Holy Spirit. And so it's about freedom that Christ gives us and about fruitfulness. It's about our lives looking different. It's about our lives being changed by the power of God. And so the first thing, I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, true spirituality, true spirituality is marked by freedom from condemnation. True spirituality is marked by freedom from condemnation. <clears throat> so the first thing that I want you to grasp is this, is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are big words. Because the first thing that marks a truly spiritual person is this, is that they do not walk in condemnation. So chapter 8, again, is the climax of this moment where the Apostle Paul is speaking about sanctification. And verse 1, when he says, therefore, it is a changing, is where Paul is shifting gears. And what he's saying is, because of the things that, that he just talked about in chapter 6, and he talked about in chapter 7, because your flesh, your sinful nature is dead, because you are no longer bound to this sin because you are no longer bound to the law because now you're a slave of righteousness there is no condemnation because remember that slave mentality right slavery all often has a negative connotation to it like you did something wrong like you're not worthy of something and what Paul is trying to let them know is listen you are not under condemnation that is not it that is not what God is communicating but you have been freed from condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus and so the apostle Paul points this out to us that though the struggle with the old nature remains, condemnation in the life of the follower of Jesus does not. 
Although the struggle with the old nature remains, condemnation does not remain in the life of the follower of Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, then guess what? You shouldn't be walking in condemnation. So let's unpack that word condemnation a little bit. What does the word condemnation mean? Well, the, the first way that I want you to understand the word is the word means it is the opposite of justification, right? So rather than give you a, de a, a, a definition, you know condemnation, it's a judgment. It means that you're guilty. Right? What did justification say? We learned this a few weeks ago. What is justification? Justification is peace with God. Y'all remember that, right? Justification is peace with God. And so the opposite of peace with God would be what? It would be animosity with God. It is not having peace with God. It is being under the judgment of God. And so that's the first mindset. But as you continue to study out this word, it is not just about a feeling, again, but it's about understanding what it would be saying. There is no condemnation. So the other way that you explain this word is to say penal servitude, right? Penal servitude. So there is no penal servitude for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not being punished. See, here's the thing. because Paul's going to talk about suffering. He's, gonna, he's shifting gears here, and he's going to move into the place of suffering. And what he wants you to know is that your suffering is not a penalty for something you did wrong in this moment. Are you here? He's not saying that. Now, you may be suffering some consequences because of some sin in your life, but listen to me. When you're following Jesus, it's not always easy. Hello. It's not always easy following Christ, but he wants you to know you're not under some kind of penal servitude. You're not being punished and having to serve because you're trying to earn something, right? It's not like that. And the other one, I like this one. One translation of the Bible, it says it like this. It, it, it defines the words um, condemnation as low-lying black clouds. There is no more low-lying black clouds like this, this weight of oppression in your life, like this, this weight of, of heaviness in your life, that this cloudiness in your life. Nope, that's not there anymore. Because you are in Christ Jesus. And so what does condemnation say to us? Condemnation says you're never good enough. That's what condemnation says. It says you never get it quite right. It says you never meet the standard. It says our, and, and so, so it says these things to us. So what is our response? The, the, the response for some of us is, well, well, I want to defend myself. I want to explain why I never get it quite right. I want to explain why I, I, I never measure up. I want to explain why. Or you, and we want to go through all that. Can I tell you something? The response is not any of those things. You know what the response is? The response is, you're right, 100%. I'm not good enough. You're right. I never get I don't always get it right. You're right that I, 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 I don't make it the right way all the time. You're 100% correct. But you know what I know? I trust Jesus because he's greater than me. I trust Jesus because he is greater than me. He is greater than I. Not only do I trust Jesus' finished work on the cross, but I trust the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I trust the ongoing work of God in my life, God making me more like Jesus. What is it that he says here in verse 2? Look at verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The spirit of life in Christ. What is that? It is the Holy Spirit who is working in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is working in you. The life of God is working in you by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what? He is working to bring you, to bring me into a alignment with his will and that way what so I can become more like Jesus we're going to see that as we walk through Romans and what God's purpose is what his predestined will and purpose is for those who follow him is to become more like Christ and so he goes on to say in verse 3 he says for what the law could not do now listen to these words here for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh so what was it that law couldn't do let's just think about this for a moment we talked about this the law couldn't make us righteous remember that the law couldn't make us perfect the law couldn't make us do things right. All the law did was show you what to do or what not to do. Come on now. 
It's kind of like that speed limit sign that you came by this morning. I don't, know what, I don't know what you were doing, but that speed limit sign could do nothing for you or nothing to you other than make you aware of what you were supposed to be doing. Are you here? And the law is weak through the flesh because the law cannot do anything to make you obey it. And so what does God do? It says what? It says, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now listen, this is heavy words here. I want you to grasp this. Because what he is saying happened is, because the law couldn't do it in us, Jesus had to come and do it for us. But this is what, you, and I want you to get this. Because Jesus came and lived perfectly, not only did he condemn sin, but he also brought us under the place of condemnation because we're without excuse. Are you here? Listen, I don't know if you get that, but understand this. What he's saying is this. He's like, listen, what you did was you, what, was, what God did is that he came down here, he lived perfectly, and so now he lived perfectly how? He didn't live perfectly in a spirit form. He lived perfectly in flesh. Are you here? He suffered, with the, he, he suffered with the same things. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways and yet found without sin. That's what the scripture says. So he was tempted in all ways. He condemned sin in the flesh. That's what he did. But, not, but he didn't leave us under the place of condemnation because what does he do? He doesn't just live perfectly. He had to live perfectly because if he didn't live perfectly, guess what? He couldn't have died the death for us. His death wouldn't have mattered. If I died for you, it wouldn't matter because I'm a sinner. Are you here? If you died for me, it wouldn't matter because, I, because you are a sinner. Jesus dies for us without sin. He dies in our place. That is the reason why we are able to have freedom. And verse 4 goes on to say that the righteous requirement of, God, of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So what is God saying? Jesus came in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. He lived perfectly. And also, you and I as sons and daughters of God, guess what? God wants to fulfill his will and his purpose in our lives. And Jesus did it. Therefore, he imparts that life to us by his spirit our freedom from condemnation listen now will only become a life-giving reality to us when we come to understand listen to this now god doesn't expect us to please him in our own ability in our flesh but by his grace and by his power Listen, for every person in here, you need to grasp this. God is not looking at you to do this on your own. His Holy Spirit is there to empower you to live for God's glory. Anytime that you and I fail to obey God, it is because we have failed to depend on God. Are you here? Anytime we fail to obey God, it is because we fail to depend on God. God has given us his spirit. Jesus showed us the way. And I don't want to make Jesus like just an example of how to live holy, but he was that. He was more than that, but he was also an example of how to live holy, of how to live righteous. And so that is what Jesus did. And, here, and, and so we must learn. Now listen when I say this, because how is it that we get past this place? You and I must learn how to engage the Holy Spirit relationally in complete dependence and surrender to him or we will find ourselves under the sway of condemnation. You see, if we don't learn to depend on the Holy Spirit, and so that sounds like something that's like out of your reach maybe. You're like sitting there like, well, how do I do that? Listen, listen. You have to understand God the Holy Spirit is a person. 
And, and we know that God is everywhere, do we not? God is everywhere at all times. There is no place that God is not. God is omnipresent is what the Bible teaches us, meaning that God is everywhere at every moment, and yet God, and hear, hear me when I say this, God is everywhere at every moment, and yet God acts differently within every moment. Are you here? So what I'm saying is God may be with me in a place where him and I are talking and he is correcting me about something or encouraging me about something and he may be dealing with someone else at the same exact moment and he may be not correcting them. Maybe he's directing them. He is dealing with that person on an individual basis. So what am I saying? God is everywhere. God is with you everywhere you go. But the only way that you are going to be able to engage him relationally is when you pause what you are doing to sit down with him and actually talk with him and actually have communion with him and actually deal with a relationship with him. Right? It's kind of like this, the way that I would paint this picture. Just imagine you have someone in your life that you love. It could be a parent. It could be a child. It could be a, it could be a spouse. It could be a cousin, whoever it is. But just imagine this person is in your life. They're with you 24-7, and you know they're there all the time, and yet you never pause to talk to them or listen to them. But they're always walking with you. They're always with you. But you never stop to say, hey, what do you think? Hey, how do you feel? Hey, what are your thoughts, right? You never stop to do any of that stuff. So let me ask you a question. Are you going to know anything about that person? No. Right? That person is going to be neglected in your life. And can I say that? That it is the same thing with the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we, don't, when we are not mindful of the fact that God's Spirit is with us everywhere we go, and we don't pause to take time. And how do we hear from God? Let me tell you how you hear from God. Primarily, primarily, the way you hear from God is by being in God's Word. So that means you got to sit down, you got to get a Bible, and you have to sit down and actually read the scriptures, right? Actually read through the Bible. Listen, and, and, and some people, they have reading issues, right? They have comprehension issues. I mean, this is just a reality. And so first and foremost, let me help you understand this. The Bible tells us something. This is a promise you need to stand on. The book of 1 John tells us that we do not need a teacher because the Holy Spirit that is in us, the anointing that is within us, will teach us. So what is God saying? God is not saying that teachers don't matter. If that's the case, I need to shut up and walk out of here. Hello. That's not what God is saying. What God is communicating is you don't need someone to make you understand truth. The Holy Spirit does that. Hey, can, I, can, can I help you understand something? I don't really help you understand truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps you understand truth. When I'm sitting down praying and I'm sitting down reading and I'm sitting down studying, you know what I'm doing? Depending on the Holy Spirit to teach me truth so that way I can simply share what he has been teaching. And in this moment, that's what he's doing. But here's what I want you to know. You don't need me to sit there and break down everything in the word of God. What you can do is you can sit down and say, God, you gave me a promise. You gave me a promise, and you said that you were my teacher. And so I ask you, and Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was the helper, who was the spirit of truth, who would lead us into all truth. And so, God, you are the helper. You are the teacher. Lead me into all truth. Help me to know it. For some of you, you're like, yeah, but I, I still have comprehension, reading comprehension issues. Okay, so here's what I'm going to tell you. Get a parallel Bible. Hello. You know what a parallel Bible is? A parallel Bible is a Bible that has different versions that are sitting right next to each other. So my Bible is not a parallel Bible, but you see how there's like two, there's, a, there's two sections here? Well, a parallel Bible would be like this, except all four of these would be different sections of reading. And so what I would say to you is get one that has an easier to read version. Sit down, read the hard version a few times before you read the easy version. Don't cheat. Come on now, right? 
Don't cheat. Read. I depend on God. Trust God. Listen, I want you to know something. You go back, and, you, and, and for those of you that are a little bit older than some of, the, uh, uh, some of the others in this room, you will know that there's some old school preachers and teachers that, man, they didn't get past third, fourth grade educations, and yet they were some of the greatest scholars in God's word, and it is because the Holy Spirit is powerful. One of them, I can't remember his name right now, but he refused to read anything except the Bible. He wouldn't read the newspaper. He wouldn't read anything else. He refused to read. And back then, there was no translations. There was the King James Version. Come on, somebody. And he became one of those preachers that is a powerful theologian in God's word because of what? Because the Holy Spirit is able. So first of all, don't cheat. Really depend on the Holy Spirit. And then, like, if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, God, I, I get this a little bit, then go ahead and look at the parallel of the other, the other versions there. And learn to spend time with God so you can hear from the Lord, so you can know what God's will. Because here's the thing that I say, is that the Bible says, the Bible communicates this. All scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed in. And so I say this, it is good for what? For the equipping of the saints. It is good for training, for correction, for rebuke. It is good for us to equip us for every good work. So what does that mean? It is because of this, because the Bible is living and active. These are not dead words on a page. Are you here? These are the words that the living God inspired men to write. And still today, they're inspiring men to live. Are you here? They're inspiring us to serve him and follow him. They're inspiring us to obey him. And so we have to engage God in a relationship and say, Lord, I want to hear from you. Lord, I want to obey you. Lord, I need your power. Lord, I need your presence. Lord, I need your wisdom. That's how we engage God in a relationship so that way we don't go under the sway of condemnation. We're not dealing with that black cloud that continues to come into our lives and confuse us and bring us into that place of doubt. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, true spirituality, true spirituality. is marked by our mindset. True spirituality is marked by our mindset. And so look at verse 5 with me. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. True spirituality is marked by our mindset. And so here's my question for you who would call yourself a follower of Jesus. What do you set your mind on? What is your mind set on? Is your mind set on all of the things you can do? Like you think you can do it all. Like you think, oh, yes, I can obey. I'm very holy. Is that how you think? Maybe you're real pious, real humble. You're like, I can't do anything. That might be how you think. Or maybe you think biblically, which is I cannot do anything, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do these things by the power of God's grace. And so Paul says, he, he switches gears here a little bit because he points out this person. He uses this word to live. I want you to notice this because this is so important to grasp this. For those who live according to the flesh those who live that word there live matters because he uses a different word here that word live it means in the original it means to exist those who exist in the flesh those who exist in accordance to the flesh and so paul is pointing out and in all probability he's pointing out a non-believer but notice who he's talking to still he's talking to the church He's challenging the church and he's saying, hey, if you have your mind set on things of the flesh, guess what? You better check yourself. 
If you have your mind set on things of the flesh, listen, you're, you're going to have issues because he goes on to say what? In verse 6, he says, for to be carnally minded is death. He didn't say it brings death. He said to be carnally minded is death. To set your mind on things of the flesh is what it, what it means. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's life or peace or death. That's, that's what he tells us here. And so Paul reminds us what? He's showing us clearly. He's showing us and making it abundantly clear for us to understand this, that, that when we are, are, are setting our mind on the things of the flesh, we can have problems. We're going to have issues living the way that God wants us to live. We're going to experience death rather than the life that God wants. The carnal mindset, what does it seek to do? The carnal mindset seeks to please itself. Or, now listen to me now. Or, and I would say in this context, to please God by itself. What has Paul been arguing all the way up until this point? He has been contending for the fact that, listen, you cannot please God. That's what he's been saying all this time. He's been saying, look, you, you, the Jewish people, he's talking to the Jewish people in there. He's saying, listen, you guys, you can't keep the law in a way that's going to please God. You can't, keep, you can't please God in your flesh. You need the law of faith. You need the law of the spirit of life to come and liberate you. That's what Paul says. He's communicating something that is so important for us to grasp. Paul is saying, listen, you have to think about where your mind is set. Are you set on doing things on your own? Because if not, what does he tell us? He shows us this. We'll keep reading here. He says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and, and peace. And so you either have death or you have life and peace. He says, why? Because the carnal mind is enmity, and so you're at odds with, you are an enemy against God if you are carnally minded, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And so if you are a person who sets your minds on the things of the flesh, and you are living for yourself, and you're trying to please God in your own ability, then guess what happens? You are not, what you're not doing is trusting in the grace of God. You're not trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. And listen, if we're not trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus, we're trying to do it on our own. You know what we're saying? This is an, this is an insult to God. We're saying, I don't need your sacrifice. I don't need what you did. I don't need you to help me to obey. I don't need you to empower me to live holy. I don't need you for any of that. And so Paul goes on and he says in verse 8, he said, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I want you to know something. The reason why I firmly believe that Paul, he is talking about someone who is living in the flesh, but he is also challenging the church is because you know what? People in the flesh don't have any desire to please God. People, listen, when you were, think about this now, before you came to Jesus, were you thinking about pleasing God? Not at all. Listen, sometimes you struggle thinking to please God now. Come on now. Sometimes we battle with that. Sometimes we're like, man, I have my feelings. I have my emotions. I have my desires. And we're not concerned. We don't, we don't prioritize God's desires. We don't prioritize God's will. That's as believers. And what Paul is saying here is that if you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. So if your mind is on the things of the flesh, you cannot please God. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, but you, he's speaking to the believers here, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, say if. There's an if there. He didn't say, you know, this is again. He's saying if. In other words, pause. Check yourself. If, he says, if, if, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. What does that tell us? Is that anybody who is a true follower of Jesus, anyone who is born again from the moment that they come to Christ, the Holy Spirit now resides in them. They're not waiting for something to happen later on. Are you here? 
You can't be a believer if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's not like God puts a little bit of the Holy Spirit in you. Like, hey, I'm just going to give a little drop so that way you're mine. No, 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 no. The scripture says in Ephesians, he seals us with his spirit. He seals us with his spirit. And so we know that we have the spirit of God. And Paul goes on to say, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus, verse 11, raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I love that. See, his spirit who dwells in you. His spirit who dwells in you. His spirit who dwells in you. That's what he, he's communicating. There is something that has happened. Listen now. It's not just that you died with Christ, you know, in your commitment to Jesus. It's not just that. It's not just that you have died to the law. It's not just that. But also something else has happened. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. So not only are you a person who can say there's no condemnation for me because I am in Christ, but there is also something you can say and you can know is that I have the spirit of Christ dwelling in me. That spirit, now think about this for a moment, that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So is there any reason why you or I should walk in a defeated way? Is there any reason why you and I should walk defeated by sin? Defeated, we, we shouldn't do that, should we? We have no excuse because God has done so much for us as believers. The question is, is the spirit in you? How do you know if the spirit's in you? Well, what is your mindset on? What is your mindset on? Are you set, is your mind set on things that don't bring glory to God? Or is your mind set on dependence on you? See, those things right there all contradict what the Spirit is trying to do. And Paul goes on to say some stuff that is really intense. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. In other words, we don't owe our flesh anything. We owe God everything. Hello? We are debtors but not to the flesh. And, and God isn't holding debt over us. Be like, yo, you owe me. That's not what God is doing. But we should be indebted to God with gratefulness, wanting to worship him and say, God, thank you for doing what I could never do for myself. Thank you for paying a price that I could never pay for myself. As a matter of fact, thank you for paying a price that I didn't even ask you to pay for me. I didn't even approach you and say, God, can you pay this for No, no, no. You just came on and you paid a price for someone who was a rebel and in rebellion towards you. And verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Did you hear that? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. What is Paul saying? Check yourself. Are you a carnal believer? Are you a carnal person? Do you live for the desires of your flesh? If you do, death is the only thing that you have to look forward to. And we know that death has to do with judgment. It has to do with that separation from God's love, separation from God's mercy. It has to do with us being under condemnation, but he doesn't want that for us. He says, but if by the spirit, listen to this, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does Paul tell us? He makes it crystal clear. Sanctification is not passive. Again, I go back to my sanctification dust, the sprinkle dust that so many people want God to sprinkle over them while they're sleeping and they wake up tomorrow more holy than they were the day before. It doesn't work like that, my friends. It is a, I, 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 I put it this way, it is passionate participation. It is you actively recognizing where sin has taken root in your life and you say, I don't want to live that way anymore. 
I don't want that ugly thing to reign in my life anymore. I don't want that ugly thing to continue to rule in my life anymore. And so what I'm doing is I am submitting that unto God. I'm surrendering that unto God. I'm pausing in those moments. You know those moments when you have, I don't know about you, but I have some moments where I'm just like, man, I'm so ugly right now. Right? Those moments where you just realize, man, that is ugly inside of me. That doesn't look like Jesus inside of me. Those thoughts, those actions, those attitudes, they don't look like Christ inside of me. So you know what I have to do? I have to humble my heart before God right at that moment, and I have to say, God, please help me to overcome this. By your spirit, I want to put to death. I want to mortify. That's what it means there. I want to kill my flesh. Listen, it's a, it's a constant battle that we're supposed to be in, engaging with God. Here's what I want you to know. It is not enough to say no to sin. We must say yes to the Lord relationally. I can assure you, that if you try to live your life just starving your flesh, you will lose the battle. Are you here? If you try to live your life starving your flesh, you will lose the battle. You will lose the battle. You will lose. Why? Because you need to feed yourself. You can't just starve your flesh. You got to feed your soul. You got to feed your spirit. How do you do that? It is by feasting in God's presence. It is by being in God's word. It's by having that worship with God. It's by humbling yourself. It's by recognizing in those moments, man, I am ugly right now and God still loves me. That's humbling. That makes you not want to be ugly like that. It's, it's similar like in your relationship with your spouse. You know, the Bible speaks about a soft answer turns away wrath, right? Book of Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 15, maybe something like that. A soft answer, don't, don't quote me there. It's in Proverbs. I can assure you of that. <laughs> Y'all turning this bishop, does he know what he's talking about? A soft answer turns away wrath. Have you ever done something mean to someone and they just humble themselves before you? Like you're talking to them in a harsh way and they don't come back harsh at you, they're just humble. What does that do to you? Some of you, it's like it makes you mad because you wish that they would come back at you so you could feel okay about yourself. And you just really in the flesh, you just get more upset. But, but for others of us that are more rational in that moment, you know what you do? When someone, when someone humbles themselves, when you are coming at them hardcore, you know what it does to you? Man, it makes you super soft. You're like, man, I shouldn't, did, did, I, did I have to say it like that? Did I, have to, did I have to act that way toward them? It humbles you, right? Here's the thing that we realize is that God is so gracious in those moments that we are so ugly. And instead of him turning his back on us, instead of him just not wanting anything to do with us, he demonstrates his love toward us. Which does what? Which makes us want to live more for his glory. Third thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. A true spirituality is marked by sonship. Look at these last words here. True spirituality is marked by sonship. For if, in verse 14, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. God the Father does what? He leads us as his sons. 
And I want you to know that this leading is objective subjective, right? It's objective subjective leading. Why do I say that? It's objective because we have clear ways that we can measure if God is leading us, right? If God is leading us, we, are, we know that we can measure it by his word. We also know that we can measure it by his character. And so if there's something that we are trying to do that violates either his word or violates his character, we can be like, mm, I don't know if God is leading me in that direction, right? So we can know that. But it is subjective because what? Because we are all individuals. And so God leads us differently, right? Some of us, God speaks to in dreams. This is a reality. Some of you, you have vivid dreams. Like you, I mean, you have dreams that seem so real, and you know that God is trying to say something to you. Listen, you know what I'm going to tell you to do? You need to sit down when you wake up from those dreams. Don't just pawn it off and try to remember it. Write it down. Pray over it. Ask God, God, what are you trying to say to me? How are you trying to communicate to me? For others of you, it's through journaling that you, you start to hear God speaking to you through your journaling or whatever the case is. Through others of you, it's by you sitting out there in nature somewhere. You want to hug trees or something. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, you know, not to condemn you for your tree hugging hugging you know it's all good right it's a tree just don't worship the tree that's all I'm going to say about that but ultimately it may be you that your God leads you in those directions you go out there and that's where you have those encounters with the Lord some of you man I mean like you know and I mean you know it in your heart of hearts that God is speaking here's the bottom line those who are sons of God are led by the spirit of God God leads us by his spirit in an objective way and also a subjective way. I want you to know God is not limited by man's understanding nor man's agreement. Listen, people may not agree with how it is that God leads you. As long as you are in alignment with God's word, as long as you are in alignment with God's character, listen, God is only limited. Listen to me now. God is only limited to the way that he speaks to people through his word. That's it. He's limited by what he says in his word. He's not going to speak outside of his word. That's the bottom line. And so we know he's not going to speak outside of when I say that. What I mean is he still speaks. He's not going to speak in contradiction to his word, which brings you to a couple of things I want you to consider as you want to follow Jesus. Because I know you, I know me, I want to follow the Lord. The first thing is God's leading. I said this already. I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating. God's word, God's leading will never contradict his word or his character. If you say God is leading you and yet your leading is in contradiction to his word or his character, you're lying. You ate bad pizza the night before or something. I don't know what you did. You got some offense going on in your heart. You're following the wrong inspiration, right? You're not being led by the Lord. You're being led by something else. And so the second thing I would say is this, is God's leading should always be submitted to other mature believers like your spouse, your parents, the elders of your church. Are you here? If you, let, let me say it like this. If you are not willing to submit how God is leading you to the leadership in your church or to the leadership in your home, guess what? I'm going to question whether God is leading you at all because you just want to follow your own ways. And the book of Proverbs talks about that too. The man who isolates himself, what? Raised against all wise counsel. I think that's Proverbs 17. I could be wrong on that. Like I get the, the, the 17, 15, 19, somewhere around there. It's, it's one of those three. I can assure you of that. The man who isolates himself, the one who pulls himself away, and he sits there. He's by himself. He rages against all wise counsel. He doesn't want to hear God the counsel. You know what the Bible says also in Proverbs? I can't quote you this one. But it says it clearly like this. It says there is safety in the multitude of counselors. So if I want to be led by the Spirit outside of what's in the Word of God, for example, you don't need to come and ask me, hey, should I love my spouse? Of course you should. The Bible says that clear. 
But when you're talking about other things that are not written clear in Scripture, we need to have some conversations. You should have some conversation with some folks. You know, I'll give you a good example. Pastor Chad, he was praying for months about sitting down for being an elder. He didn't just come and drop the bomb on us one day and send us a letter of resignation. He'd be like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to leave and, you know, sit down and, you know, from being an elder. He didn't do that. He let us know for months. He let us know he was praying. He let us know he was talking about that. He let us know that. That's the way you do that. He, he wasn't trying to hide something. He wasn't trying to be sure that he heard from God and then come tell me, hey, I heard from God. That wasn't how that worked. That's not the way that the body of Christ works. We're supposed to operate together. The third thing I say this, God's leading should create in us, listen to me now, reverence, humility, and confidence, not rebellion, pride, and cockiness. Are you here? Lead, God's leading should produce in us reverence. There should be a real reverence. When God called me to, to, called me to plant this church, there was a real reverence I, 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 that, that weighed on me heavily because I understood I was undertaking a calling from God Almighty. There should be reverence. There was humility because, wow, God's leading me like this. He's calling. He's speaking to me in this way. But there should also be confidence. I know what God is calling me to do. That is not the same thing as rebellion. Well, you know what? God is leading me. I don't care what you say. Right? It produces that other thing when people, oh, God is speaking to me, so you know what? I'm going to just go the way that I feel like I need to go. Time out, time out, time out. That's producing the wrong thing in you. That's producing rebellion. That's producing pride. That's producing cockiness, and you don't want to have any of that stuff in your life. We have received the spirit of adoption is what the Apostle Paul said. The spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Daddy, Abba. That's what that, Abba means Daddy right? Papa, right? That, that, that's that word there. Father is a different word. It's, it, it's, it's a word that means like the, 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 the one who created me, the one who is the source of life. So daddy, my source of life, right? It creates like, like we understand that God is the one who created us. He, give, he gives us this spirit of adoption, not to fear anymore. We know that we are God's children by the inner witness is what the scripture says. The, the, the spirit bears witness with our spirit. How does he do that? Let me tell you how he does that. How does God bear witness with our spirit? Again, this is subjective, but here's the thing. He does it by comforting us when we're going through sorrow, we're going through heartache. He comforts us. Not only that, he stirs us to prayer. Does God stir you to prayer? Is he moving you to pray? If he's not moving you to pray, there's an issue. Is he, is he reproving you of your sin? Is he rebuking you about your sin? That's how God leads us. And he, and he bears witness that we are his sons. Does he draw us? Is he drawing you into good works? Is he leading you to works of love for others? Does he, bear to, does he lead you to bear witness, to share the gospel with others? That's the way that God bears witness with our spirit. We're encouraged in our sonship. Listen, the believer is not just a child of God. We know that we're children of God. But we are heirs of God as well. So what's the difference? A child is what? A child means that you are part of a family now. Being an heir means you're included in the family forever. It's not just that you're a child now. You need to grasp that. You're not just a child now. As children of God, Paul goes on to say, but you are heirs, heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. And that's a beautiful thing because you know what Jesus does? He literally, he literally shares his inheritance with us. He shares that inheritance with us. And so here is my closing question for you. Is your life marked by true spirituality? We talked about three things here. Are you free from condemnation? Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you free from condemnation? Are you walking around with a weight on you, feeling like you're never good enough, like you're never accomplishing, like you're never getting to where God wants you to get to? Listen, that is condemnation. You need to let that stuff go. Allow God to free your heart. Is your mind set on spiritual things? 
Are you thinking about spiritual stuff? Are you so consumed by this world that you can't focus on God? You can't focus on the things of the Lord because you're so consumed by life. Wait a second. Is your mind set on your flesh? Is your mind set on your own will, your own desires? Two things. Either if you're a child of God, you need to check your priorities. And if you're not a child of God, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to humble your heart before God today. And repent so that way your mind, because the mind that is set on the things of the flesh leads to what? Death. It is death. That's what it leads to also. And the last thing is, are you assured of your sonship? Are you sure that you're a child of God? Listen, if you're not sure that you're a child of God, there's a problem. God's spirit, listen, on my worst day, I may not want to look at my daddy, but I know I'm a son. I may not want to talk to daddy, but I know I'm a son. There's never a day that I feel like, man, I'm not a son today. No, no, no. I may be a rebellious son. I may be a nasty son. I may be an ugly son. I may be all that kind of son. Hello. But I'm still a son. <laughs> if you're not sure that you're a son, God wants you to be sure today. So I'll stand up, feet. Let's pray together. Father, we humble our hearts before you today, thanking you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. And God, we thank you because we know that you are a good, good father to us. And so, Lord, I pray for those in this place that may not know you, God, that you would draw them to you. I pray for those, Lord God, that may not be followers of yours, that you would draw them into you, into a relationship with you, and that they would begin to follow you today. I pray for those that are just starting in their walk with you. God, I pray that they would embrace the reality that they are yours, that there is no condemnation for them, and that they can live a life of freedom in you and fruitfulness. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that are more mature in the faith, but that may be walking under the sway of condemnation in their lives. Lord, today, may you liberate them from that weight. May you liberate them from that heaviness over their lives, and may they know the peace that comes from a relationship with you. Father, we thank you for these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.